good morning. It's good to be together on this first Sunday of Advent as we spend our time reflecting on the hope that we have because of the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus did come and live among us. And because we have a hope that one day he will return and he will make us whole. Today, we're going to spend time in Jeremiah chapter 30. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, you can, you can do that. Uh, but before we get into uh, this, this passage and our time together reflecting on hope, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift of these holy words that have been preserved for us, that have been handed down by people just like us, trying their best to be faithful. And so we pray this morning that, that you would speak to us through them. God, we're doing the best we can to come with open hearts. And so we pray that these words would speak to us through the power of your spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. It was mid-afternoon on a late fall day in 2001, my very first semester as a student at ACU. And I had just finished the last class of the day. I was feeling good. And it was time to leave the Bible building there at ACU, and I was going to head by the campus center, check my mail, because back then we got mail, and they had a mail room there. And I was going to check my mail, and then I was going to head back to the dorm. But when I walked outside the Bible building, something wasn't right. It was dark. Not like it's about to storm dark. And it wasn't like the, the, the sky was just so cloudy that the sun was hidden dark. No, I, I looked up and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Instead, the sky had this weird brownish hue. And I kid you not, for what felt like five minutes, but was probably just a few seconds, I thought the world was ending. I started thinking about my parents back in Tennessee and wondering what, what it was like for them. I started listening for a trumpet to sound and, and the clouds to open up. I promise you, this is what went through my mind. I'm standing there. I can't move between the two buildings. And then I hear somebody say, well, looks like a dust storm blew in from Lubbock while we were in class. And I'm like, oh, I felt so silly. In the last couple days, I've been reminded of that memory. It's like it was yesterday. I walked outside and the sky's brown. Thankfully, today, the sky is blue, just like it was the next day, that late fall of 2001. Everything was back to normal. Several centuries before the birth of Jesus, a different kind of storm rolled into Jerusalem. But this storm didn't just feel for a moment like the end of the world. It was the end of the world. At least the end of the world as God's people had always known it and experienced it. It wasn't a thunderstorm. It wasn't a dust storm. The storm was the Babylonian army who came to lay waste to Jerusalem and lay waste they did when the dust settled and the smoke cleared 
well, it looked like the end of the world too. If we could get a glimpse of the aftermath, what we'd see would be heartbreaking, total, utter destruction in every direction. Stumps, rubble, ashes. We'd see homes that had been demolished. We'd notice that the city in which God's people had taken so much pride, the city had been leveled. The once hustling and bustling temple courts would be as lifeless as Times Square after 9-11 or, or Bourbon Street after Hurricane Katrina. It would not be a pretty picture. This picture of Jerusalem destroyed, desolate, mostly uninhabited. It's like the, the perfect backdrop for a post-apocalyptic movie. And, and where'd all the people go? Well, they, the ones that survived, got carted off to Babylon, taken into exile. The, the home now that they find themselves in is within the current superpower in the world. And compared to the shambles we saw looking around Jerusalem, Babylon looks like heaven. Everywhere you look, there are symbols of beauty and glamour, wealth and happiness, clear indications that the people in Babylon, well, they live in the place to be. And it's here in Babylon that we find the people of God, people who are now exiles in a strange land. And as exiles, they miss their homes. They miss their jobs. They miss their temple. You could say, I guess, that they miss their lives. And it's all made worse by the fact that they're surrounded by people who are living the Babylonian dream. They've got wealth. They've got power. They've got opportunities galore. They have it all. And... And they're not gracious winners either. They're taunting the people of God relentlessly. Your God is dead, they sneer. And the longer the taunts go on, the longer exile continues, the more God's people begin to wonder. What if they're right? And, and even the folks who are inclined to... To, to optimism, even the folks who are glass half full kinds of people who, who insist deep down somewhere that God isn't actually dead, God is still alive, well, they're starting to get frustrated. So how long exactly is it going to be until God shows up and, and rescues us from this mess? Where, where is God? And all the while, they've, they've got the Babylonians in their ears telling them, you know, our God Marduk's pretty good. I mean, look at the prosperity he's provided for us. And look at, look at the military might he's endowed us with. We, we've steamrolled y'all. And these words, they're, they're like salt in a wound to the exiles. Words that that hurt deep down already. Their world has been torn to shreds. They've been 
brutally defeated by a foreign enemy. And, and, and now on top of losing many of their friends, many of their family, their, their temple, their land, their lives, now they're, now they're stuck in this place where they can't escape the sense that the world is, is, is never going to be the same. And, and, and you get this sense that they're, they're like a pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth. One moment, they're down in the deepest pits of despair. They're, they're, they're just convinced that, that really things are never going to recover. And, and the next minute, the, the despair is so depressing that they find themselves in a place of denial. Like, like everything's okay. Nothing's wrong here. Back and forth. Back and forth. The pendulum swings and their hearts are are caught in this place where they can't quite figure out what's going on. They can't quite figure out what to make of it. They can't quite figure out how to feel about it all. But the longer it goes, the more their heads begin to hang in defeat. Their hearts start to just become resigned to loss. All hope is gone. All joy is gone. There's no sense of the possibility of stability, of security. And, and while there are a few who are hanging on desperately to memories of Jerusalem, memories of the praise songs they used to sing together, memories of how it felt to, to sense uh, uh, God's closeness and God's presence, it's just, well, it's just hard for most of them. And gradually, more and more folks begin to think, well, maybe we should give this Marduk God a try. Maybe we should see. I mean, there's plenty of evidence, if we're looking for evidence, that, that Marduk defeated Yahweh when the Babylonians defeated us. And so, you know, maybe it wouldn't hurt. Maybe things would get better. Their bodies are weighed down with sorrow. Their minds are burdened with despair and their souls are unable to shake this sense that there is a distance between them and God that they will never, ever be able to overcome. They are, in a word, hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Which is when the prophet Jeremiah shows up with a word from the Lord. And when you think about it, the setup could not be better for him to show up and deliver a word of hope. To bring life back to these people in exile. To bring hope back to these people who had felt like the hope had been completely drained from their lives. There's, there's only one problem. That's not exactly the word the Lord has given him to share. Instead... This is what the Lord says to the people through Jeremiah. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. No one comes to your aid. No one attends to your wound. Your disease is incurable. Why cry out for relief from your pain? Your wound is incurable. I guess you can give God credit for this. God doesn't beat around the bush. 
People like you and me, we, we start to, to sense despair and, and, and trial and darkness and, and, and out come the cliches, right? The cliches that, that are well-intentioned but, but hurtful, misguided, and meaningless. Well, you know, God has a plan. And I'm sure this is a part of that plan. You know, God's ways aren't our ways. Everything happens for a reason. But if we're honest, much of the time, those aren't really attempts to, to provide hope or comfort. They're, they're just as much, if not more, about our own discomfort with darkness, our own inability to get close to the trials and the tribulations of life. We want to keep them at arm's length. We want to hold them off as much as we can. But God, God, on the other hand, is, is well acquainted with how dark things can get. And so God doesn't try to sugarcoat things. God doesn't try to pretend like things are, are far better than they are. Instead, God is as direct and honest as possible about reality, even when that reality is dark, darker than we want to think about. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. No one comes to your aid. No one attends to your wound. Your disease is incurable. Why cry out for relief from your pain? Your wound is incurable. Yeah, God doesn't beat around the bush, but God does kind of feel like a doctor who has no bedside manner to speak of. But then suddenly Jeremiah continues speaking. That's not the only word from the Lord. There's more. I will restore you to health. I will heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast Zion for whom no one cares. And at this point, we're struggling to make sense of the situation, just like the people who hear Jeremiah. On the one hand, God's saying your wound is incurable. On the other hand, I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. What in the world is going on here? Then Jeremiah continues. More words from the Lord for the people. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on their dwellings. Their city will be rebuilt on its ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. There will be laughter and songs of thanks. I will add to their numbers so they don't dwindle away. I will honor them so they aren't humiliated. Their children will thrive as they did long ago, and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them, and their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now, now, it begins to make sense. With these hope-filled words, this vision of the future spoken to the people by Jeremiah, they find that their hearts that had been drained of all hope are now filled with hope once more. Now, they're still stuck in exile, yes. They're still surrounded by obnoxious Babylonians, yes. 
They're still not sure what tomorrow holds or the day after that. Their economic situation may not improve. Their, their political situation is still tenuous. They, they don't really know what to expect. Their wound is still incurable. And yet, their experience of darkness in that present moment is, is just that. Now they can see that it's just the present moment. And the present, it, it has no hold on the future. The present holds no power over God because it is God who holds the future. It is God who has power over what is to come. And so no matter how poor the outlook, no matter how dark the horizon, there is hope for God's people in exile. No matter how threatening their economic situation might seem, there is hope. No matter how intimidating the military might of their captors, there is hope. No matter how strong the grip of sin on their lives, there is hope. For a leader will arise from among them, a leader who is close to God and devoted to God. And through that leader, God will reclaim these exiles as God's people. They will be God's people and God will be known as their God and their hearts are filled with hope once more. They may have an incurable wound, but it will not rob them of hope anymore. You know, as I look across this room, I, I know that some of us, maybe many of us, perhaps all of us, if we could let down our guard and be completely open and honest, we'd have to admit that, that we're struggling, burdened. By an incurable wound. Maybe, maybe life blindsided you. And left you with an incurable wound. Maybe, maybe it's grief over the loss of a loved one. That, that just never ever seems to relent. No matter how many days pass. Maybe it's, maybe it's a broken relationship. That no matter how hard you've tried to mend it. It just won't mend. Maybe it's. Maybe it's that your body has betrayed you and you've done everything in your power to combat its decline, but you can't slow it down. Maybe it's that, that you've got a voice, a voice deep down inside of you that no matter how much you've tried to silence it, it won't stop telling you you're not enough. Maybe life has dealt you an incurable wound or maybe, maybe you suffer from a self-inflicted wound. Maybe it's that you're stuck in a pattern of resisting God's call on your life. Maybe it's that the lure of money or sex or power just is so strong you can't withstand it. Maybe it's that you're, you're just spending all your time looking out for yourself instead of looking out for the needs of others. I don't know. I don't know what that incurable wound is. But I know that for some of us that... That incurable wound has been festering for so long. It feels like God doesn't notice. Like God doesn't know. Like maybe even God doesn't care. 
And so we've, we've, we've lost all hope. We're as hopeless as the people of God exiled in Babylon. Maybe for others of us, we've been living in denial. We've, we've been trying to, to tell ourselves that it's just a minor scrape. It's, a, it's just a little cut and it'll take care of itself on its own. But, but the reality is it's, it's more than that. And regardless of, of which spot we find ourselves in this morning, God, God speaks to us because he sees our wounds. He knows our wounds and he cares about us. And so he says to us, your wound is incurable. And, and maybe if, if you felt like God hasn't seen or noticed you, maybe that comes as a relief. But if you've been in that place of denial, it, it might be a little unsettling. Because for the first time, you're having to reckon with the fact that, that you have an incurable wound. But, but regardless, that's not where God stops. God continues to speak to us this morning. And I believe he's speaking to us. The words that, that he shared with the people of God through the prophet Jeremiah weren't just for the folks stuck in exile in Babylon. I believe they're for us, for you, for me, for all of us. These words are for us. It's a promise, a promise of God. I will heal your wounds. I will restore you to health. God speaks this promise over us. And just like the people of God in exile, it may well seem impossible to us. It may seem like there's no way in the world that God could possibly heal us of this wound we've been suffering from. But brothers and sisters, think about the history of God's action God has a history, for instance, of, of creating new life out of dead wombs. I mean, over and over again through history, God has taken people in captivity and he's brought them to a life of freedom they never thought would have been possible. Or, or, or think about how many faithless and self, selfish servants God has raised from the ashes of lives they had just ruined and God turned them into faithful leaders. Think about the history of God's work in our lives and in our world. Our God will stop at nothing to heal us. Our God will stop at nothing to heal us. And he'd even go so far as to take on flesh and blood and become one of us so that he could heal us and make us whole. And, and while we may not experience that healing today, while we may not experience that healing tomorrow, while we may not experience that healing the way we'd prefer, our God has promised to heal us. And there will be a day when God returns. And when that day comes, we will finally experience what it's like to be healthy again, whole again. We will be God's people. God will be our God. Again, I know that may seem impossible. I know it may seem too good to be true, but God has promised, I will restore you to health and I will heal your wounds. And so until that day comes, may we wait in hopeful expectation for our God who heals incurable wounds.
our God who heals incurable wounds. We're going to stand and sing together in just a minute. And we're going to have some shepherds and spouses out these double doors over here. And, and they would love to receive you and join you in praying if, if you are burdened because of one of these wounds that's, that's been just robbing you of hope. Maybe you've experienced some healing from God and, and maybe you just want to share that with them and they would love to celebrate that with you, whatever the case. May you be filled with hope this morning. Our God heals incurable wounds and will never let us go. Let's stand and sing together.